koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is koinonia. This is community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley filling in for Tom today. It's good to be with you on this beautiful afternoon in the Valley of the Sun. With me in the studio is Terry Coyle. Terry is a teacher, a coach, a, a mentor, a spiritual father, a natural father, a grandfather. And uh, we're going to find out all about his life, his faith, his philosophy, and uh, his golf game as we continue this interview. Terry, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Mark. So I, I want to... I mean, some people are going to know the the Coyle family from the famous ice cream. Some are going to know you as the basketball coach at Arcadia High School for many years. Some are going to know you just because you're the kind of guy people like to get to know. But what do you want on your tombstone in about 20 years? Well, I've already written what I want in the paper when I die, Mark, so it'll be the same thing. Uh, First of all, on my wife's uh, tombstone, we have... uh, uh, to die is to live is Christ. To die is glory. Glory, yeah, and that's on our team tombstone. But for my own, I've written and and sort of got it across to my daughters that I want people to know that uh, that I was an ambassador for Christ. Number mm-hmm. one, and in my teaching area, I wanted people to know that I was very concerned with making kids know that I cared for them, mm-hmm. even though I'd be a disciplinarian, a very strong disciplinarian. And I wanted them to know also that I wanted them to be responsible for their own actions. So I set up certain principles and, and uh, uh, statutes within my coaching uh, program that uh, called them to that, that if for some reason they were not responsible for it, they knew ahead of time what the consequences were. And uh, I was going to enforce them for the for their own good because I loved them. So, Take us back um, to where you grew up, what this valley was like back in the day. Well, I got to go further back than the valley, Mark. Okay. I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, which is the rubber rubber capital of the world. And uh, that's where I was born, and, and that's where I grew up until I was 17. And then mm-hmm. I came to Arizona. So when I came to Arizona, the population in 1951 was 100,000 people. In the valley or... In, in the Phoenix. State, in Phoenix. In okay, 100,000. Camelback was the northern boundary, if you can imagine. Okay, the far north. <laughs> so that's we're on Camelback right now, <laughs> yeah. in the far north. Huh? But anyway, it was really exciting because there were no buildings. You know, it was just mm. a nice little town. You had to go downtown for everything to get a pair of shoes or to go to a movie. It was just different, and there was only a few high schools. Uh, Where did you guys move here? We moved here in 1951. And the reason was health reasons. Mm-hmm. Basically, my father had health problems. So we came from Akron where my father had seven uh, restaurants, hamburger, ice cream restaurants. Really? And uh, he never went past the 12th grade in high school. But he was a hustler, huh? Well, he started uh, selling papers at age 10, and he used to fight for his corner every day. Really? He had a fight, he told me, every day down in Zanesville, Ohio. And then uh, he actually... Ended up marrying a, a little girl from Canton, Ohio, who flirted with him and dropped her handkerchief and got his attention. And uh, they ended up with five kids, and they ended up 
building a, a nice little restaurant chain of seven, seven stores, and he's very proud of that. The only thing was he was a he was a, a restauranteer man, and he had to keep a close eye on it. Okay, we're going to find out more about that when we come back. My guest is Terry Coyle. They've had a famous restaurant in the Valley, but that's not why he's here. He's got a great story. Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back. Back to Koinani. I'm Mark Buckley filling in for Tom Brown today. I'm one of the pastors at Living Streams Church on the corner of Central and Glendale in the middle of the valley. If you ever want to visit us, you're more than welcome. And that's where I got to know Terry Coyle. And um, Terry, wherever you go in this valley, people know you, don't they? Well, Mark, they seem to. I've been in a lot of things in my life, being a teacher and part of a famous family as far as ice cream. I've also been involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which got me in touch with many people. Uh, I'm working in ministries. I, I work with Church on the Street, which is... Uh, with Walt Rattray and those guys? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, I do that, and I'm involved in St. Mary's Food Bank. I'm involved down there, and I'm also involved with a foster home program. I uh, go with another man into a foster home and teach the Word of God. So I've gotten around a little bit. That's awesome. Plus, I think the name Mary Coyle also puts me in a position where. So we're going to we're going to get the background to that. You came out because of your dad's health. He sold his businesses in Ohio, and started over. Was that hard for you? That's a hard age to relocate when you're 17 years old. It it really was. Uh, my brother. It was a little easier because he came out of the eighth grade and started as a freshman. That was mm-hmm. a little easier. But yeah, I came in here as a junior, not knowing anybody, and uh, felt a little uncomfortable. Uh, but I was very fortunate. About two months after I, I started school, I was an athlete back in Ohio and had a, quite a bit of success. But coming out here... You're a superstar out here then, huh? Well, I had some success, yes, I what did, did. What did you play? I played basketball and baseball. Mm-hmm. I was All-State in both. And then I went on to University of Arizona and had a fo- basketball scholarship and ended up playing down there and made un- that's another area where I knew people just mm-hmm. unbelievable amount of people that I met on the campus as a student as a, a fraternity brother and so forth so that also adds to some of the fact that I'm I don't know well known or so I, I did you get any playing time at U of A I was the starting point guard for two years Mark. were you really congratulations very, very fortunate I hate to say but my senior year we beat ASU home and away did you really? <laughs> so, to this day, it's sort of nice when I'm around the ASU people. I look them in the eye and I say, well, I don't know what's going on now, but in 1956 and 7, we took care of you pretty well. <laughs> That's neat. It's, That's where I met my wife, Mark. Is it really? University of Arizona, yeah. So tell us about your wife a little bit. Well, first of all, as a hotshot junior basketball, sophomore basketball player, I couldn't get a date with her. Uh-huh. Yeah, I crushed my ego a little bit, but... 
anyway, long story short, we, we got pinned and then got married and have five beautiful children. She's a strong Christian lady. She taught me how to love, to tell you the truth. Did she really? I didn't even know what it was to love people. I was very egocentric and self-centered until I met the Lord, of course, but she really taught me how to love. So how did you come to know the Lord? Well, I was in a situation where after taking a a team to the Final Four as a coach, if you can imagine, uh, I found myself in a position with five children that I was sort of broke. The Final Four here in Arizona, state state basketball championship. State basketball championship, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened was I ended up having financial troubles and uh, almost had a nervous breakdown or did have one and actually in my back of my mind considered uh, committing suicide. I really did. You you felt like you had lost it all. Lost it all and embarrassed everybody and just was... Did you make some bad financial decisions? I made one bad one, borrowed some money, but not being financially knowledgeable and stuff, uh, I thought I had done the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And here I have five children and I'm just, I'm a basket case. Mm -hmm. But what happened to me, Mark, at the bottom of it all, I was in a fetal position in the bathroom of my home and I actually called out to the Lord and my statement to him basically was that I have heard that people that follow you, you give them peace, a peace that surmounts anything we can understand. And I said, I don't have that peace. So if if I maybe follow your will or find out what your will is in my life, God, at the time it was just God, then I should be able to find this peace. And if I don't find this peace after finding and doing your will, then I think you're a phony. So basically, I set out like I do in anything. I get very intense when I go and get a mm-hmm. project or something. And that's the way I was with coaching. But anyway, I started in the worst way. Boy, I was going to find out what God's will was for me. Well, it was an ongoing thing, and I don't want to go into the detail. But eventually, I finally found, after a couple of years, this little pamphlet or tract. And it said something about the will of God. And I thought, oh, I took it off the shelf And I read it, and what it basically told me, Mark, was this, that 99% of God's will for you, Terry, is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I didn't own a Bible. I was a church-going man in a denomination, but I didn't own a Bible. And you had never really read the Bible? Never read the Bible. Your whole life? Never. 35 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's when I took off. You know, I also got the four spiritual laws from a friend of mine, which planned out step by step what it meant to be. And when saved. was this? This had to be forty. Nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy is when. It was, it was a great year, wasn't it? It was the best year of my life. I know. That's when I started following Jesus. Is that right? Seventy. It was a great Praise year. Praise the Lord. So anyway, in the meantime, it's been an ongoing process as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. I asked the Lord when I met Him. I said, do me a favor, I'm going to read your word, but also introduce me to men of God that also have messages mm-hmm. for me. So, and he actually answered that prayer, I mean, outstandingly. He just, every month or six months or so, I'd become in contact with another great man like yourself, a man of the word. And I'd learn more and more mm-hmm. from them and so forth. So it's been an ongoing process. What churches did you start going to once you started following the Lord? Well, my... My my wife was a Catholic, mm-hmm. and I was a Catholic. So we were yoked when mm-hmm. we were married. Mm-hmm. And then when I uh, uh, became born again, we sort of got unyoked a little bit, if you can understand what I mm-hmm. mean there, and you do. 
at the same time. So therefore, to keep everything the way it should be as far as the family and all that, I I would go to church with her and she would go with me, like Mm -hmm. the Scottsdale Bible or Word of Grace out Mm -hmm. in Mesa. My children were all going to Bible churches. Mm -hmm. So it was easy for us to say, okay, let's go to Maureen's church out in Mesa this week. And then we'd go to the Casa. And the Mm -hmm. Casa had a pretty good... uh, Service. I mean, so how did your wife respond when you first started getting hungry for the Lord? Well, it was there was there was a little stress in the family for yeah. sure. Yeah, it was natural, and I didn't exactly hand it the way I should have. Mm-hmm. I was one of those usual guys that just found something they're going to tell everybody. Yeah, take them by the throat and say, "You yeah. got to believe this. It's awesome." You know? yeah. but we worked it out, and it was great, and and uh, we had the unbelievable marriage. And there were five hundred people at her funeral. She died of cancer six years ago, four years ago. There were 500 people there, you know. The night before they had a prayer session, there were 350 at, wow. a, at a funeral home. They were parking four and five blocks away, so it yeah. was quite a testimony. Because she loved the Lord and she loved, loved people. Oh. Huh? And she worked with the Christ Child Society. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a strong group of people that works with inner-city children mm-hmm. and brings them all kinds of stuff, you know, food, uh, clothing, etc. And she became a leader in that. And uh, so anyway, I just... I loved her for what she was and what she did, and she was a wonderful woman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you more about that before we're done. But take us back to you're 17 years old. You're starting over. You're an athlete. You start playing ball at which high school? West Phoenix. West Phoenix. And um, your parents started another restaurant here. Tell yep. us about that. Well, my dad came out here, and he started in Texas. He wanted to move, so mm-hmm. he started in. Te- he had gone to Florida for vacations with my mother mm-hmm. from Ohio, and, and it, he didn't like it. it was too humid, so he started. He made his decision. He was going to move. Started selling, selling his stores. Then he started west, and he went to Texas a couple places. Then he went to New Mexico, and he was on his way to California, but he stopped in Phoenix. And he fell in love with it. And it was in December, of course. Everybody falls oh, in so love. Oh, so he was just on a road trip. Then, he was looking to looking where I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. He yeah a scouting have, trip, huh? Without a doubt. So before he left home, he had bought a home two blocks away from West. Wow. And he took a 10-year lease out on the store there at 15th Avenue in Thomas near Phoenix College. Uh-huh. And he just got off running at, as he got going, he hit the road running. And, and this was and Marie Coyles. And how Mary, did he, Mary. Mary Coyles. Mary Coyles. Mary Coyles, my mother. Uh-huh. And my, my, actually, I never covered this. My dad was in love with the newspaper business. He loved the newspaper uh-huh. business. He started as a, uh, as a paper chaser in the, in the office mm-hmm. and ended up, if you can imagine, a non-educated man with two fingers typing 60, minutes, 60 words a minute. He became the city editor really? of a newspaper in Akron, Ohio. That's funny. But then the, the, the newspaper got uh, purchased by uh, uh, a, a chain. Uh, I forget what. Hearst? Or? Yeah, I think it was. Or Scripps mm-hmm. Howard? Yeah. Scripps Howard. And they brought their own staff in. Mm-hmm. So they gave him the opportunity to go to one of their sister station, uh, newspapers in, I think it was Cincinnati or something. Well, Mary Coyle from Canton, Ohio, wasn't going to go to Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> she was 14 miles away from her mother, and she wasn't going. So Dad had to do something, and he just said, well, let's open a restaurant. So he opened a restaurant, and part of the deal somehow was that he couldn't use his own name. I don't know why. So he used Mary. So it became Mary Coyle Ice Cream, and it became a success. He ended up with seven of them 
in town. Seven of them here in, in Phoenix? No, no. Oh, in, in Akron. Okay. He never took a day off the whole time I was, he was my father. You're kidding. So did you work in the ice cream stores oh, yourself? Yeah, from day one. Was it an all-you-can-eat job? <laughs> it was make ice cream, buddy. Yeah, it was Seven hours a day. Really? It was, oh, yeah. You were hustling, huh? We made our own ice cream, yeah. Now, did he pay you decent? Did you save oh, yeah, your money yeah. or anything? Yeah, I worked. Well, we went through some hard times in Phoenix here mm-hmm. after we got started. So uh, I actually ended up got called back from the University of Arizona for one year, and I worked for my father uh, for a year, and I didn't get paid, you know. I was walking across the street to Phoenix College and coming back and working the store. Really? You had to just, whatever it took to survive. So you only We got... were struggling at that time, but then it, it, got, it got going later real well. We ended up with three stores in Phoenix. You did, huh? One on the east side on Indian School, one up at 19th Avenue by Christown mm-hmm. on Bethany, and then the original one. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to find out more from Terry Coyle in just a moment. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Mark Buckley filling in for Tom Brown. My guest is Terry Coyle. Terry, you were telling me the story. You guys started a, a restaurant here in the Valley. It's darn hard work. Tell us the story of how it, the, the ice cream parlor took off. Well, it started out as a hamburger and ice cream place, and we struggled right mm-hmm. off the bat. And that's what he had done back in Ohio and had all that success. And so after we struggled for a couple of years, my older brother, Larry, got out of the uh, military, and he wanted to come into the business. So he brought some great ideas with him. Mm-hmm. And actually what we ended up doing was converting to a straight ice cream store with mm-hmm. all these specialties and all these highlighted things that people used to talk about, a mm-hmm. mountain of ice cream for a family, you know. And people would sit down, six and seven and eight people, and eat off this big plate of ice cream really? with syrups and nuts and everything. So mm-hmm. he got it going to where it was flying high. So that was basically what it was, my brother Larry. He he uh, was the one that did it. Now, I got out of the business after four years myself. I was a, a married man with a couple of kids coming home at 1230 at night, and I couldn't see myself doing this when I was 50 or 55. Yeah, that's brutal, huh? So I, I talked to my wife, Susie. I said, Susie, I just can't do this. we got to do something else. Uh, i got to like what I'm doing, and I hate this, and, and I hate Was the- it just the hours would wear you down, or just was no t- stimulation or challenge? Not a, not a lot of stimulation and challenge for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for my brother. My brother was all excited and doing great and loving it. And that's part of how you know what the will of God is, right? If oh. if you're doing something that brings you joy, don't change. I don't care I what you're doing. I agree. If, you're do, if you've got joy in your work, that's the gift from God. But if you don't, that can be a sign that there's something else for you. Huh? I think that's part of the scripture. 
Yeah. Now, also, what happened to me, which I had no problem with because I don't compare myself among other people, which the Word of God says. And I had some friends. I mean, I'm talking lawyers and businessmen and guys that own part of the Diamondbacks and guys yeah. that owe the Suns and all this. One time I had a guy tell me I was a fool to do what I'm doing, that I can make a lot more money with my personality and so forth. Well, that didn't even bother me, Mark, mm-hmm. because I was doing something I loved. Which was coaching. coaching. And I How was did changing. you get into coaching? Well, I always wanted <laughs> – that's a good, good – I always thought I wanted to be a coach and a teacher because I had a great coach in high school. Mm-hmm. I really had a great coach that I admired, and, I, and he was fair, and, and I thought, boy, I would like to do this. Well, I also wanted a big family, and my dad, my dad knew I wanted a big family. And he told me, Terry, you can't raise a big family and be a teacher and a coach. It's well, not a lot of margin, huh? Yeah, and I respected him. So, therefore, I went to college and, and I studied business. Mm-hmm. I was going to be in business. I was always going to come back in the ice cream business, basically. Mm-hmm. But so, and then I did. We got in the service, got out of the service. My wife and I came to Phoenix, and we have two kids, and we're in the ice cream business. And then f- three or four years later, I, I tell her, I said, I can't do this. So she said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to coach. <laughs> she said, well, let's go. Let's do it. So here's what I had to do, if you can imagine. I got, I ended up, I got three kids and one on the way when I make the decision. And uh, I go back to school with three kids and one on the way. And I, it takes me a year and a half to get everything I wanted, credentials, credentials and so forth, yeah. what I needed. And uh, she was right there. How did you guys make it financially? Well, I got a little bit. Uh, from military, I had a little mm. bit of school, GI Bill, GI Bill a little mm. bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And I, I made ice cream at night, Mark. Uh-huh. So brother. you were going nonstop, huh? <laughs> and I'll tell you, I was going to school with young 18, 19-year-olds that didn't care. Yeah. And I had a mission. I mean, I right. wasn't doing this you for were... the heck of it. I had three kids, four kids at home by then. And, uh-huh. and so she let me lock myself in the back room and study and study and study because I was I – was, a dyslexic type person, and it took me a long time to learn things, but she gave me the opportunity. She'd just tell the kids, Dad studied, stay out of the back room. <laughs> so then you finished up, you got your credential, and where'd you go? Well, my first job was, I was two years at Alhambra. Uh-huh. I was very fortunate. A man that was in charge of personnel uh, had known me real well, and when he saw my, my, uh, my papers come across his desk. He put me at Alhambra. I was very mm-hmm. fortunate. Was, of course, it was God working in my life, but I ended up at Alhambra as the assistant coach there with a guy that I had played against at Phoenix Union and at ASU. And really? to this day, he's a close friend of mine. Oh, that's a blessing. But then two years later, uh, another good friend of mine was uh, going to go into um, – administration and he was a physical education teacher at Arcadia mm-hmm. and he offered me the job so now I'm going to Now be this able- is what this is still the 60s right Yeah this is 6 I was 60 63 64 I was at Alhambra and then mm-hmm. 65 6 I came to Arcadia All right so what was Arcadia like in those days well, it was a great school. They had won state championship twice in football. Mm-hmm. They never had in basketball, but they had a great coach. I loved him. I coached under him for for five years. He he just died recently, and so I learned a lot from him. And I learned my trade. And then when I got my opportunity, I I I had a little bit of success. How much success? Tell us what your career was as a coach. I could not 
to this day tell you how many games I won because uh-huh. I really don't care. I had three teams that I really can resonate with. Mm-hmm. And one of them won seven and lost seven. Ten and ten, I think. Uh-huh. And, and we should have been 0-20. Oh uh-huh. So we won 10 games, and I thought that was That was success, good. yeah. And one of the biggest compliments I ever got was in the newspaper by one of the columnists said that he, he made this comment, which, again, to this day, I'm proud of it. He said, he said if you're going to play Arcadia, you want to play them early because uh-huh. late in the year they're going to be a lot better because Coach Coyle brings them on. <laughs> that was a compliment. Sure. <laughs> to this day, I still feel that way. I, I I resonated with improvement. I resonated with seeing people do something on the floor that maybe we had worked on for weeks and finally was able to do it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I also resonated with the fact that everybody in the profession knew that the Arcadia kids behaved on the floor. Yeah. They were well-disciplined. Give us some of your coaching philosophy. Uh, well, I enjoyed... Uh, practices more than I did games, Mark, because mm-hmm. I was a teacher then. So I really enjoyed that. Um, what, did you have a particular scheme that you taught all your players? Or what, what was your philosophy approaching the game? Or did you shape it according to the men you had on the team? Well, I did a little bit to the men I had on the team. But for whatever I had, it was always the idea that you know, if we outwork them, I mean, this mm-hmm. sounds like a cliche. You hear it on TV, mm-hmm. but it's the truth. You know, if I, I tell a kid, if you're not working out, there's somebody in Akron, Ohio, that is mm-hmm. that wants the same job you, the same place on a team you want. Mm-hmm. You want to go to the University of Arizona and play basketball? I got news for you. You know, there's a bunch of guys working seven days a week trying to get better. You better be part of that. You know, group. You know. So I always look for improvement on my kids. That's what I wanted more than anything. And, I, you know, we, we got beat once with a bunch, of, a bunch of young kids that were green as could be, and we got beat by 25 points by Westwood in our home gym, our home gym, the second game of the season. Well, at the end of the season, we barely made it to playoffs, and we went and played Westwood in their gymnasium, and they beat us by one point. And we missed a breakaway layup with 10 mm-hmm. seconds on the clock. We actually could have beat them. So to me, improvement was the thing with my yeah. kids. Now I, and I, the last thing I was going to do was make a decision that would hurt the kid. In other words, if he screwed up and needed to be disciplined and not play, he wasn't going to play because mm-hmm. I'd be doing him a disfavor. You know, And I think parents do that a lot of times. They overlook things and give them things they don't deserve. Yeah, and it teaches a bad lesson, a right? Bad a lesson. bad lesson that there's really no accountability in this world. Exactly, Mark. And I wanted, and that's part of the, what I want him when I die. I wanted to say I wanted Kiff to be accountable for what their actions were. Now, who are some of your um, coaching mentors, either through books or just men you aspire to be like that you really admire? Well, I had a couple people here in Phoenix that I admired quite a bit. One was a guy by the name of Kenny Trout. Mm-hmm. He's deceased now, but he was a teacher and a coach at Central. And, and he was similar to my situation. Uh, he had kids that, as a rule, were not as good as other kids. But, boy, he taught them the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. He taught them how to play good, strong man defense. Uh, he was great. Of course, you got to go with a guy like um, – um, 
John Wooden. I yeah, mean, John I read Wooden's. his book, and and I just respect so much. And and he did some things that you know that I I thought were great, and I did them. You know, starting from the very beginning, he, he you know when he told Bill Walton, who had won, who was a junior, they won the national championship his junior year, and he came back with long hair on his head, mm-hmm. and said, "Coach, this is just my new style, and this is the way I'm going to be." And John Wood looked at him right in the eye, and he said, well, Bill, we're going to miss you this year, but <laughs> we're going to get along very good without you. And that was my concept. I had a kid come to me So did one, Bill Walton cut his hair then? Oh, he couldn't get to the bicycle fast enough and get <laughs> to the barber. Well, I had a similar sim- thing happen with me. Uh-huh. I had a young man. He was a great kid, and he had his hair down to his shoulders. And it was a thing during the 60s. I mean, there was yeah. nothing wrong. Everybody had it. But when you're going to play for me at that time, you're going to get a haircut. Yeah. And so he was my student assistant in, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And on the last day that he could get his haircut, he's in there in my class taking notes and doing all my stuff and getting my mail. His hair is down to his shoulders. Never said a word to him. I see it. I'll see you later. And when he left, and I'm on my way over to start basketball practice, 10 minutes later, there's a knock on my door. And he's there, and he comes in. He says, Coach, he says, will you cut my hair? Uh-huh. I said, well, Pete, yeah, go get them. Susie, go to my wife, get them. They're on my table. Bring them over. So he comes into my office again, and I, I plug him in, Mark, and I put right next to his ear. I go, boo, boo, boo. And I, and I said, are you sure, Pete, that you want me to cut your hair? And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, Coach, I want to play basketball. So he made a decision. Mm-hmm. Which, What's wrong with that? Right. That's good. Kids got to make decisions the right way, the wrong way. Do I go with peer pressure or don't I? Do I stand up to my morals that I will at home when I'm out? You know? So, anyway, I, I'm big on that. You got to be responsible for your own actions. Amen and amen. My guest is Terry Coyle. And uh, we're talking a little basketball, a little faith, a little struggles and challenges of life. And he's over 80 years old and still going strong, loving the Lord with all his heart. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message. Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley from Living Streams. My guest is Terry Coyle. So, Terry, how many years did you coach altogether? 27, Mark. 27. And then how tough was it to retire? The easiest thing in the world. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. It was easy. Um, my wife and I got together about six years before I retired, and uh, it was important because many people church, uh, teach for, oh, 30, 32 years, uh-huh. and they build up a a pretty good, strong uh, resume for their pension. Well, I had not taught them many years because I was in the business, ice cream right. business for a while and then out selling. So I just figured it out. I looked at what we had to, they had to offer us in the pension program and, and how it worked and how I could maybe build it up. So 
what happened was we decided that the last six years I was going to take as many uh, subsequent subsequent uh, contracts as I could, which the what that means is I would maybe teach three sports and then be the athletic, uh, not the athletic director, but the uh, intramural director. And then also they asked me to do something special at lunchtime. So I started doing that, and they gave me extra credit for that and extra contracts for that. So what I figured I'd do for the next five or six years, I'd build that up, and then your your pension is based on your last five years, an mm-hmm. average of your last five years or your last three years. And with that built into our retirement system, I said, well, I'm going to take advantage of that. So mm-hmm. I did. And then I had an athletic director and a, and a student uh, assistant student principal guy that had a lot of respect for me. Mm-hmm. He knew in my programs they didn't have a lot of trouble. So he said, look, if you want to coach this and that, and, you know, so I was. But you were working like crazy then, huh? I mean, it was well, we had the, intense. Well, we had the understanding, Susie and I, mm-hmm. that that's what we were going to do so we could retire right. with, we, what, with, with something we would have had if we had worked for 32 years, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. So with that in mind, that's what we did. And uh, I did work hard and long. But at the same time, my, my administrators respected the job I was doing and were happy for, that I was doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because their problems were less, hopefully, than if someone else was So once you retired, what did you start doing? Well, when I – my wife got sick. Mm-hmm. My wife got sick, and she had a long history of illness, and then she got cancer. And uh, we were – like, we had to go back to Baltimore at Johns Hopkins twice – we had to go to California once, all this having to do with her illnesses. And they weren't all cancer. There were different kinds of things. She had this, I don't know what it's called, where she would faint or go, fall over because mm-hmm. of balance or something. And and then uh, we went in one time to check out something called Sphinxer of Odie, which I didn't even know what it was. And we had that explained to us and said that we have nobody in Phoenix who can do that. So we had to go to Baltimore to get that handled. But in the middle of all that... They took a, a an MRI of her to sort of see what the problem was, and they found out she had uh, a liver that, uh, I mean, a kidney that had a big hunk of cancer sitting in it. Nice. So we that come out of it, brutal. and the guy says, "You got to have that done. We'll make we'll make arrangements for you." So then later, she had two or three different kinds of cancer. That was she just suffered a long time, but at the same time, many people when she died. They made the comment to me. I didn't even know Susie was sick. She wasn't complaining. Oh, never, never. You would never know it. She, well, you know, two weeks before she died, she was taking food to a guy that got out of the, just got out of the hospital. Really? You know, That's she was wonderful. just great. So, so, so I obviously you were praying for her healing. She didn't get healed in the way you wanted. That's heartbreaking. How did you stay strong with the Lord during one of the most heartbreaking times of your life? Well, there's a little scripture, I think it's Proverbs 3, 5, 6, Mark, which you know well. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So he directed me through her whole time of of cancer and, and her death. I, I believed and trusted for a healing, but it didn't come. So, uh, you know, someday I'll know why. It's not. It didn't bother me at all. Because I now know she is not in pain. She's with Jesus where I want to be. So I have not had 
And did you guys stay close during that time, those last years of her life? Oh, did yeah. it seem to almost enrich her? Without marriage? a doubt. Without a doubt. And she, I think, you know, couples know that you love each other. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a given if you have a strong marriage. And we knew we loved each other. But... You still miss her terribly. Towards the end, mm-hmm. she made a comment to me about loving her. Because I had been her caretaker. Yeah. And she was able to see it in action. Yeah. She saw the fact that your love wasn't just in words, it was in deeds. You Amen. were serving her. Yes, I was. And but anyway, yeah. I mean, I think that's a challenge for all of us. I love my wife. We've been married 42 years. I love her dearly. She she was gone in Mexico doing a, doing a medical outreach this weekend, and I really missed her. Um, and I know that when you're really close to somebody, the day will come when one of us will probably go to be with the Lord apart from the other. And you can either do life at an arm's length, a distance, or you can do life wholeheartedly in love. And I think that's the way we're supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be not just loving our wives, but we're supposed to love our friends and be faithful in our to the people that God gives us in the church and build the kind of relationships that are a, a foretaste of eternal life. Amen, Mark. Amen. I mean, that's what makes life worth living. That's where we get our joy. Well, I found it necessary when she did die, though, to get pretty busy mm-hmm. uh, because I had had friends that lost their wives, and they were miserable. You can't just sit around watching can, TV. I have one guy, buddy of mine, that's what he's doing to this day. And, boy, I got involved. I yeah. said, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get busy, you know, with my family, with outreaches, with yeah. Bible studies, and... uh even though I did that and I had something going every day, there was still dead time. Sure. <laughs> but a lot less than would be normal. Well, you learned some hard things when you battled depression before you knew the Lord. And yeah. um, talk about that a little bit because some, I mean, I thought that because I was a believer, um, I was invulnerable. But I found when I was 44 years old, I went through a crisis. Because my energy was dropping and my vision was increasing and there was a gap and I was pushing myself in unhealthy ways. And and you've had to make some big adjustments. What have you learned along those lines? Well, early I learned my mistake was trying to please people mm-hmm. and, and trying to be worldly goal-oriented. Worldly goal-oriented. Well, when I had my depression, I had failed worldly because mm-hmm. I lost that money and stuff. But when I met the Lord, I found out that it, he loves me regardless, mm-hmm. you know. And when, he, when I found out that he loves Terry Coyle just the way he is, you know, my whole life changed. It really did. And, 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 and when I found out that I could trust what he has told me, his new covenant is, is, is fact. And if he, if he says it, it's a fact. And so I learned not to look at circumstances. I refuse to look at circumstances. If something happens, I look to the Word for the answer. The world is not going to direct me, you know. Otherwise, you know, I'd be following my buddies. And you got to get good counsel. And I'm getting good counsel from mm-hmm. people like you and John, and, you know, people like that at the church and stuff, and people in my Bible studies. I'm getting good counsel, which I'm supposed to do. But one of the big things for me, Mark, is that I refuse to look at circumstances. I will not. I look to what the Word says about this, and that's the fact. It's just like money. 
I now have the perfect under I have the perfect understanding of what God's concept is with money. It's a simple, simple concept. No one should be poor. You can you can give your way you can give your way out of debt, the word mm-hmm. of God tells us. But how many people will? We've got what, eighteen percent of the people in the church that tithe. And yet that's a command from God. Right. <laughs> and then a promise that He'll take care of he'll open the windows of heaven. <laughs> Blow your head off. Yeah. So you never made a lot of money as a teacher, but do you have any lack right now in your life financially? Or is God taking you care would of be you? Sh- you'd be shocked at what I've given away. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I have that there is absolutely no lack. And that's a, that's 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 a promise. That's the yeah. answer of a promise. In Malachi he promises that. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could get that message out to every man who's struggling with a family who believes in Jesus. Because if we, if we just obey what he tells us to do, he is compelled to give you his promise because he's not a man that he would lie. Right. So if he's going to open up the, the, the windows of heaven, he's got to do it. He's not going to take a person who, who obeys him and then puts him in debt. Right. It's like you as a father. You, right. Son, if you do this, I'm going to give you two weeks of, uh, uh, I'm going to, uh, what do you call it? I'm, you're going to, what's the word when you have to stay at home? What's the word? Restriction. You're or... going to get restricted. You're going to be homebound. Yeah. And God wouldn't do that to us. Right, right. And I'm a good object. The truth sets us free. Amen. And one of the things we need to get free is just our heart free that we can trust, trust God with our money. And uh, sometimes I have a guy who's given me some gifts, and it's actually helped me be more generous because it's like, Lord, you're giving me this money not so I can just hold on to it and hoard it, but so that I can be a generous giver myself. Yeah, That's what he's called us to do. Well, he says it in the Word. It's better to give than to receive. No, you're over 80 years old, right? I'm plus 80. I was 80 in uh, July. Okay, over 80, but you're still physically active, too. What do you do to stay in shape? Well, I prepared for the last 45 years. Uh-huh. I was a, I was a, I was a, a jogger for 40, well, I don't know. Since I was 35, I jogged until mm-hmm. I was 70. And then when I was 70, I, I cut back and I started being a walker. But mm-hmm. I've, I've walked. I've watched my diet. I've watched my weight. You know, I, I weigh 155 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm five foot ten. I hate to say it. I haven't seen a doctor in 40 years. You don't have to hate to say that. You've been healthy by the grace of God. By That's the grace gift. of God, exactly. And But you also take care of yourself. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I'm fairly well aware of what it takes to be healthy. I'm fairly well aware of what naturally I can do also because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that's been found out in laboratories has not been uh, been advertised by drug companies because they can't make any money on something unless mm-hmm. they make a pill out of it. Yeah. So therefore, there are many things that we can do that uh, ward off cancer, ward off you know sicknesses and stuff, but it's not as well publicized. You know? yeah. And then the medical profession, I sh- maybe not that, but ADA or whatever it is, uh, they foo-foo the naturalists. Mm-hmm. And yet they've, you know, vitamin C has been proven to cure cancer. Extensive, you know, intravenous mm-hmm. stuff. But so anyway, yeah, I've been, you know, and, and, and at first it was an ego thing, but now I do it to the glory of God. I want people to see me at 80 years old 
walk in the golf course with my bag on my shoulder mm-hmm. and look at me and and I don't know Say, what they're like going to do right. That healthy someday too, huh? And they also know that I I am a believer. I I'm not, you know. I You're heard, not shy about sharing. Well, I heard a story once. How would you like to be convicted of being a Christian, go to trial, and get released? Because there wasn't enough evidence. That's not going to be me. <laughs> amen and amen. My guest is Terry Coyle. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, we're wrapping up today's program. I'm glad that you've been staying tuned. Terry, um, tell us what your devotional life is like in just a minute or less. Wow. What do you do to, to keep your soul and spirit refreshed with the Word and in fellowship? Well, I try to keep constantly in touch with the Lord. Okay, that's my first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have morning Bible study, I mean, uh, uh, devotional. Mm-hmm. I have many Bible studies. I have three different Bible studies that I attend. I teach one myself. But most of all, I try, I just try to stay in touch with the Lord. I love to speak in my second language with him. Uh, I feel like I have a direct connection with him. and He knows the, what I'm talking about. Um, I, I just like to over and over continually say scriptures that mean mm-hmm. a lot to me, that, that keep me uh, on the right track. Uh, I just love the Lord, and I know he lives in me and my spirit, and I know the Holy Spirit lives in my body. He's teaching me constantly and giving me the direction I need. So I try to stay in the word, which the Lord said, and uh, let it lead me. And I know the Holy Spirit is what is leading Terry Coyle and will continue to lead him. Amen and amen. Thanks, Terry, very much for being my guest today. My pleasure. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church, and I want to invite you to come and join us sometime. We're on the corner of Central and Glendale Every Sunday we have services at 9 and 11. We also have a Saturday night at 5.30. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. We'd love to have you visit. And wherever you go to church, be faithful. Love the the Lord and love God's people. If you're going to change from one church to another, at least let your pastor know you're moving on. Don't just disappear. Come on, we're called to build relationships that really matter. Okay, so so be a stand-up brother or sister in Christ. Make your life count. We're glad that you were with us today. I hope that we'll all be doing as well as Terry at 80 years old and bearing fruit for Jesus. God bless.